Hi, I'm Isabel Allen, Editor of Architecture Today. Welcome to this new AT podcast season, which is a series of conversations with women who shape the city. This season is produced in partnership with VM Zinc, and you can hear VM Zinc, Celine Van Dahl, discuss the way Zinc has been shaping the city for the last 200 years in a special podcast that sits alongside this season at architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcasts. I'm talking to Morag Myerskoff, who is a very distinguished graphic designer, but also somebody who is passionately engaged with how to shape the city to make it more accessible and exciting for the people who live there. So, Morag, I want to kick off by asking how you made the transition from conventional graphic design to deciding that for you, really, it's all about the spaces around us. Well, I think it it always been in me from the Royal College. Um, I was designing opera sets when I was at the Royal College um, and it was a bit shunned because I was doing graphic design. They thought I should be designing posters, not three-dimensional. So when I left, I sort of felt, I, you know, I shouldn't be doing that. And so it took me 20, well, yeah, it was probably about 15 years to sort of slowly... <laughs> make that change and I just always had a vision about what I thought I don't know I don't really think it's graphic design what visual communication I don't really know what you'd call it but whatever I want I felt I needed to do in life I felt there were other outlets for it than I was being channeled towards doing so it had been in me from the beginning really from the beginning of my um, design education I mean, you've got a very instinctive idea, haven't you, about how people read and understand space. And for me, having collaborated with you um, a lot over a few years, the kind of joy really of what you could bring to projects, which really kind of urban design projects as much as anything else, was that the stuff that usually is absolutely stultifying. So the wayfinding, the navigation, the you know need for font to be a certain size they need to have visibility strips on the edges of pavements that you know all the stuff which kind of tends to get gone through as a final sift with somebody looking at a big pile of regulations that's the stuff you put up front isn't it that's that's actually where you start and that's the stuff you celebrate so you turn everything on its head and make the kind of you know the poor relation the box sticking exercise into the big burst of celebratory fun do you think that's a fair characterization of how you work Mm, sort of I mean I feel that I it's it's not about the visual as such, even though that's a bit surprising to say. It's about emotion, about making spaces that people really connect with. And I think from working on schools from, I think the first school I did was Westminster Academy in 2007. But prior to that, I'd also worked on um, John Sowell's community projects as well. I really understood how you had to to make the places work, you really have to work with the people who are using the places and really understand what they wanted from them. And that may not be a sort of utopian view of (laughs) how somebody might be doing something or something. So, and then being able to take all that information 
and having an experience and knowledge. And that's why it was quite good that I started doing that type of work when I was pretty experienced. I mean, I'm 58. So 2007, I was in my 40s or whatever. And so I'd already done a huge amount of understanding of people. And I'd worked in m and <laughs> you know, so there was all this stuff. So when I came to these things, I, um, I felt that actually it wasn't about decorating the walls and making it look pretty but it was more than that and it was about people working me trying to work what people needed and then giving them more than they ever thought that they wanted but still for them to connect with it and that's actually grown and grown and grown with with the work I do and now really what I do is try and make work that people are part of and they belong to and they own it as really more than I own it sort of thing and it's theirs and I think the experience of working on the schools was really key because we worked with the head teachers and uh, then I worked with the architects and the head teachers so I was this sort of person in the middle of all these people that came with a different view. So what happens to that work because schools are very particular aren't they in that by definition they have this sort of churning population Obviously, in the first few years, that process of consultation and the head teacher having, you know, commissioned their legacy project and the school kids having been directly involved and met you and feeling like they engaged with it brings this incredible value of its own. Is there an issue then that 10 years later, the kids have left school and there's a new teaching staff, it sort of loses some of its resonance? Or do you think that if you get the artwork right, it's going to stand in its own terms? But it's the sum of the parts, isn't it? So it's not the artwork necessarily or the building or the teaching. It's all the things together and then they grow together. So even if all the artwork changes, that doesn't matter. There's a pride in the, you know, the fact that they want to change the artwork is much better than letting the artwork just be irrelevant for the period of time. So it's actually about setting, putting the seeds in there for people to think oh actually that wasn't so difficult to do we can do this we can keep that spirit up you know our um, school children's art doesn't have to stay in the classrooms you know we could do a big mural with the kids we could get other artists in you know so it's actually this sort of whole way of thinking that we had just started at the beginning if I went back and nothing had changed. I think that was, wasn't so good, really. Actually, it is about it changing with the generations of new people coming through and setting that up so that that is possible. And then that is all about ownership. So it's about we just become nothing. We become, you know, it's a bit like, I don't know, a family home or something, you know, how it can evolve and, and grow all the time. And um, And I always go back to sort of actually very simple things like what really makes you happy and that's a cup of tea in the morning you know and how can you make that within a really huge context still bring that absolute connection I guess that approach sits very very happily with um all for Morris's way of working doesn't it because you know they've always taken that view of you design the theatre if you like and then the stage set and the props and there are some things which 
obviously because we're responsible and buildings cost a lot of money and we all have to be sustainable now there are bits of big structure that you hope are going to endure for centuries but you do define the bits which as you say actually if they have to stay kinetic and dynamic and relevant and that seems to sit very comfortably but I'm kind of curious to know about this business about collaborating with architects do you find that there are practices that you try and work with but actually they have a way of working which is almost too complete or close to really allow you to come and and contribute you know, to allow your work to really sing in the way that, well, to contribute what you are able to bring, I guess. I tend to just really work independently now. So sometimes the odd architect is interested in me doing something, but I don't know, I don't do it very much anymore. I mean, my main collaboration was with um, H Men, really. And I don't know whether then people kept away from me. I don't know. I assume that once they started winning Serling prizes and things, I just thought everybody would be thinking, oh, Morak Myerskoff, that's the secret weapon. <laughs> Have you followed this whole debate about multiform, which is kind of like, a, I don't know, a post, post-modernism, I guess. And there's a clutch of young practices, people like Studio S&M, who are sort of playing with pattern and historic references and and you know just making projects which are kind of fun and basically want to make people happy and smile and are quite contextual and Owen Hopkins who's a critic and Adam Nathaniel Thurman and people have written very intelligently about it you're cited as a really key influence um fat of course are referenced so how do you feel about entering the canon and now being up there as somebody that's kind of revered and given this theoretical weight in architectural circles um that's been my mission hasn't it (laughs) (laughs) you got there no I mean my mission has always been to break down barriers and not to be defined by the education that you had and because I was a successful graphic designer graphic designers think in two dimensions in people's minds and they believe that they are put into a box you know that do a certain thing and I have, I've never wanted any, I've wanted just to, if I want to build this thing, I want to build it. I'm not an architect, it doesn't matter, but I can see a three-dimensional form that I want to build. And so I believe that I did make my own, in my funny little way, <laughs> in uh, with a lot of uh, not, you know, always just continued, I worked in my own space. This is Women Who Shape the City, a series of conversations produced by Architecture Today in partnership with BMs Inc, shaping cities since 1837. You can find out more at bmsinc.co.uk. So I made a space for myself where I built, you know, I made things and I did things and I know I'm not this and I know I'm not that and I know I'm not, you know, in the sense of labels, but I'm just this thing here. So now You know, I call myself artist designer because that's easier for people to understand. But if it was, I wouldn't call myself anything, really. I'd say the base of my work is also very narrative based. So for me, I can't just make things. I have to make a connection with the works. And that is often emotional connection or it stems back to a story, which is what I was sort of saying before and really when I did the movement cafe in 2012 basically that was my coming out you know I had just waited I had been sitting on the sidelines for so long with everybody implying 
that that shouldn't be what I should allow myself to do. And I had had a lot of that from college. You know, when I was at a college, they should have told me to go and do theatre design or, or, you know, encouraged me. But instead, I was stamped down all the time because that was not what I was meant to do. So finally, when I did the Movement Cafe, it was like this moment where I just made this thing, you know, and it did get um, highly commended or something for the AJ Small. You know, it got a lot of uh, response because nobody at that time had seen something quite like it. And then I realised that that had actually been what I had been wanting to do all this time. And that separated me. You know, I, I didn't need to work with architects anymore. <laughs> If that makes sense, you know, I needed to express myself, which I'd always been felt that I needed to do for a really, really long time. And but then expressing myself was not always necessarily about me. It was about working with communities, working with people, you know, getting them to express themselves as well, because it had taken so long for me to feel confident enough to do it as well. So if that has been recognised in some way that I have forged this thing over 30 years, because there is this sort of feeling that my job is done, in a way there's this really weird feeling, suddenly colour is great and there's this space where people can see that combination of things, you know, and obviously there's been in the past, but at this moment in time anyway, you know, I feel strange because I feel, oh, all that thing I've been fighting for all those years. <laughs> yeah, I think it is about, uh, you know, so colour and, and pattern and joy and all those things. But also, I think in a way, you were kind of an early adopter in the sort of civic and societal approach and all the stuff that you've always been interested in, or certainly ever since I've known you about, you know, taking those little forgotten spaces of the city and saying this is really valuable this you know we can really pull stuff out and make this fun we don't need it all to be about the grand royal parks and the this that and the other and of course lockdown and and covid just totally accelerated that didn't it like suddenly any little patch of outdoor space was just kind of gold dust and in a way with the whole sustainability agenda now I mean you know at base level if you can go in and do something absolutely transformative with paint and a bit of plywood you know it's so efficient I mean talk about getting the most bang for your bucks in terms Mm. of transforming an urban environment Mm. so it's wonderful really to kind of see your stuff now what's funny is it looks so current and new and actually if you didn't know and you came to it fresh you'd think oh this is a talent built out of social media because it's so Instagrammable you know those lovely kind of (laughs) compositions and color for me watching you and having sort of collaborated with you and known you for years it's it's amazing because it feels like it's been this perfect storm you know there's been a shift in culture society practicality everything else that's just made it absolutely all pervasive Mm. um so what happens now to you do you feel like now you've got to go and find some new turf and blaze a new trail or do you think you can just sit back and enjoy having your moment in the sun no because there's never a moment you don't really feel anything like that I mean I think that for me because I can see because we work you know you think you do quite a lot but actually you work you know I'm just because I really work just on my own now and um and then Luke helps me sometimes or people come in and paint but you know I I and then you know I collaborate with the commissions that I'm working on more rather than other collaborators but you think you've done quite a lot of work but then you realize that actually there's so much more work to do so um I was talking to well I'm working 
with Hackney, with the Shakespeare Walk Adventure Playgrounds, you know, and there's lots and lots of stuff that I can help them do. I don't want, it's not about me. It's about me enabling things and stuff like that. So I think that's exciting. And I managed to raise money to do a garden for Sheffield Children's Hospital. So I'm doing that. And then I'm also doing big structures still. So I think that there's, lots of still places for me to do things but the biggest thing I think is also working in temporary which as you said previously you know even though it is ply and I would normally use scaffolding because it goes back into the system you you still do produce waste so I think the thing is about all being very very aware of what you're producing not overproducing, and if you do produce where is that stuff going to go so at the moment I I try and take that work from there and put it there and then I keep some and you know so there's all this thing going on and then this big move for me here is about wanting to live much more sustainably and growing my own vegetables and you know living a very different life to the way I'd lived previously and I think that was the two-year pandemic effect on me and obviously on lots of people so I'm just a product of what happened really but in a way it's quite fascinating as well because your values change and then that filters through into my work but I think it's brilliant that people are much more considered within projects and it's not all about the design or the artist and they're heralded to know everything and that's more and more what I want to do when I did Folkestone and triannual this year we did all workshops online and it was just beautiful though the work it was all about what they thought about folks in the community and then everybody just went there and they read each other's words and they just absolutely loved it you know and that fills me with joy you know that absolutely warm I feel if I can do a bit of that even I, you know, I've said it before to people, I see my things as sort of flowers coming up and then sort of just making a big show and then they just disappear again and then they come up somewhere else again and then it gives people this thought process and it may stay with them or it may just be fleeting, but they've experienced it, you know, and so I think there's still lots to do. Morag Myerskoff, thank you so much for talking to me today. You've been listening to Women Who Shape the City, brought to you by Architecture Today in partnership with VM Zinc, shaping cities since 1837. Visit architecturetoday.co.uk forward slash podcast to download the complete collection of 80 conversations or to listen to a special episode with VM Zinc, Celine Van Dahl. In the next episode, I'll be talking to American academic Martha Thorne about equipping a new generation of architects with the skills required to make our cities fit for the future. 